Welcome to another VW podcast. This is going to be the last episode of our Preparing for Funding series, Recut. Hopefully, you've been following along and you've listened to the first six episodes. This is number seven, and this will be the last one that we do talking about this topic. So the Preparing for Funding series is meant for founders and startups who have not yet started their company, who are about to, or who maybe are in the very early stages of their startup, and they're trying to make sure that they understand all the steps from incorporation through a series seed round. Today, we're going to be talking about what that series seed round may look like, and I probably need to caveat that by saying seed has a totally different meaning today than it might have four or five years ago the first time we cut this. We'll talk about that. So before I get into a recap of the first six episodes, I should probably say hello to my co-host here. Radney, how you doing? Kevin, I'm good. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Haven't talked to you in a while. You got a new slick haircut? That's right. For those viewing at home, you'll see my grays look a little bit more pronounced now. Yeah, this is the curse of our age, man. The shorter you go, <laughs> the more it seems to show up. But hopefully, Radney, people understand that these gray hairs come with a lot of wisdom. Right? Sage advice. Exactly. Experience, for sure. Okay, so I wanted to start by just recapping the first six episodes. We do this in a linear order to help clients understand the multiple stages. And this is just to get to a seed stage. I mean, think about how many more stages exist after this, right, Radney? Mm -hmm. So we've got incorporation was our first episode. Then we talked about founders agreements, friends and family funding, or sometimes friends, family, and fools, pitch decks. Episode five was, where do you find your initial sophisticated investors and what to expect? Our last episode was accelerators, and that gives us to today. You know, Rad, I want to talk about accelerators for a sec. So we expressed some concern about the over-acceleration of American <laughs> startups. Yeah. Right? There's just too many of them out there. So I was speaking on this panel yesterday. We were talking about vesting and repurchasing shares. And this one founder raises her hand and says, I have a question. She says, I would like to recapture some shares from my accelerator. And I said, well, <laughs> I'm sure maybe you didn't have a great experience. I understand that why you would want to do that, but probably not possible. There's usually not a way to just recapture equity. She goes, no, I can't get in touch with them. I said, what do you mean? You can't get in touch. She said, the accelerator shut down. They did not leave any forwarding email or contact person. And all the people I was in touch with before, I could no longer get in touch with. Oh my God. So she now has Radney... I don't know. I didn't ask her what percentage. A know, fictitious probably, person that yeah, has two like to six percent of something that you, she can't get in touch with them. Yeah. And I said, you should probably talk to an attorney about that and see if you can do something. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what happens there. If we get into an exit, what we have to leave that to the state? An escrow for the state. state. Yeah, there is some of those laws, right? Right. Yeah, escape to the state. That no one claims it after a certain amount of time. That's right. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Crazy, huh? So this is just going to be. You know, running a startup is so hard, even mm -hmm. if everything goes exactly right for you. It is so incredibly hard. And to add these sort of burdens to it, I'm sure they weren't hoping to shut down. Yeah, the accelerator didn't want to go under. Yeah. Right. It wasn't doing it on purpose, but that's why you got to be really careful with accelerators. Just make sure there's very clear expectations and restrictions and don't give up too much to them. But we sponsored an accelerators program last week and went really, really well. So there are good nice. ones out there. Great ones. Yep. Agreed. All right, Radney. So let's talk about seed rounds. And you have to remember the context of this recut that we're doing right now, because I think we last did this in 2018. So it's five years ago. 
And in your mind, Rad, what's the difference between a seed round in 2018 and a seed round now? Well, I think there's quite a few. The two main ones would be, I think the value of those rounds has increased. And the second major one that has two parts to it would be what people maybe colloquially refer to as a seed round, right? Whereas in the past, I think we often said seed round would be a convertible note, safe or equity. More and more people are referring to seed as that first equity round and not as often referring to those convertibles as a part of the seed. But if we do consider them to be part of the seed, then the other really interesting factor that we've seen in that five years is the rise of the safe and the kind of death knell, or that might be a little bit of an overstatement, the kind of falling of the convertible note in terms of the amount of rounds that we're seeing. Yeah. Convertible notes are definitely falling out of favor. So I want to touch on each of those three points that you made there, because I agree with all of them. So it's great. I mean, it's so interesting. People may not believe this, but you and I don't really sit down that often and talk about the trends that we're seeing from Dallas to Austin, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the deals that I do, I think we probably do about the same number of deals each year. Most of the deals I do in Dallas, most of yours are in Austin, but our conclusions are largely the same. And then if we go and look at data that's out there, it's pretty easy to see that Austin's going to fall just behind San Francisco by a little bit. New York's going to be close to lockstep with San Francisco. And then Dallas is going to be behind those. So whatever trends we're seeing in San Francisco, we'll see them a few years later in Austin. And we might see them a few years later in Dallas after that. Those timelines are probably compressing. If something comes out of San Francisco, it might be hitting Austin and Dallas at close to the same time now, especially for early stage stuff, because there's just not a lot of distinction in early stage companies anymore, because you can really start them anywhere these days. But the first point you made was, okay, the value, right, of seed rounds. And I think five years ago, it might have been anything that was $1 million or below could have been like an angel or a friends and family round. But $1 million above is probably going to be a seed round, right? Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of $1 million, $1 million and a half, $2 million seed rounds. And now it's pretty common to seed round kind of probably starts in anyways the deals that I see at two, two and a half million. A lot of those are just going to be convertible rounds or safe rounds. And then in the West Coast, you might have like a 5 or $10 million seed round. Totally. So the values are definitely going up. But with that is this understanding that for your earlier rounds, anything less than $2 million, if there's no clear lines, right? But let's just assume we're setting a clear line for the purpose of this discussion. Anything less than $2 million is not going to be an equity round. It's just not, right? Right? What's it going to be? Those earlier stage rounds where you're only raising $2 million or less, you're going with a convertible instrument. And more often than not, you're going with a safe now. Part of that has to do with you're only raising $2 million, right? And so you don't want to have the fees associated with that process eat into that. And equity rounds, we can get into that, are more expensive than convertible rounds from like just a legal perspective. And the other side of that is just the stage the company's in. You know, those equity rounds, you have to make tons of representations and warranties about the status of the company and things that you can't speak to really when you're in those convertible rounds, right? Because you're just kicking off. You don't really have all those aspects. I mean, I, I guess you can make some of those reps, but there's so many caveats to them or they're just so not applicable that it really makes more sense to just streamline it, go with the convertible, kick the can down the road on things of ultimate valuation and kind of the terms of what that preferred equity looks like. And then in those, when you're actually raising a sizable amount of money, then you put the time and effort and money into that raise. So that's typically what we're seeing. And just to piggyback on what you said earlier, Kevin, how those trends are happening. I remember we had a call probably three years ago with an investor here in Austin. And we were talking about, oh, we should do this as a safe. And they're like, no, this is a convertible note. And we were like, well, we're just saying like safes are slowly taking over convertible notes. And we think that'll be the norm in like the next few years. And they swore to us that convertible notes were never going to fall out of favor in Austin and Texas. And obviously 
from what we see on a weekly basis, we're doing significantly more safe rounds than convertible notes. Yeah, now. if you just go look at the VW trends we published yeah. on our website. It's funny. Over the last couple of years, safes have, I think this year will eclipse convertible notes pretty readily. But yeah. it was first like 75, 25 convertible notes, then it was 60, 40, then it was 50, 50. Now it's swinging the other way. So, Red, I was just looking through a Carta report that came out today, Carta mm-hmm. Insights. Now, you have to realize when you're looking at reports from Carta or even PitchBook or Crunchbase, there's a lot of reporting bias there, right? Because they can only report on the deals that they have, sure. and they're going to get more sophisticated or more typical venture companies using Carta. Let's just assume that Midland, Texas is a mass, there's a massive amount of angel investments happening in Midland, Texas, and they might all be for energy software, right? So they might all be for like what we would think of as traditional venture-backed company, but they just happen to be in oil and gas or energy because that's Midland. Those deals might all be convertible notes and they're just not getting reported in a Carta. So there's going to be reporting bias, but I still think we can draw good conclusions. I think Carta said that 80% of their early stage deals, you know, and let's just be careful on how we're using the word seed and we'll talk more about that in a sec, but 80% of their early stage deals were safes versus 20% convertible notes. Yeah. Right? So that's a massive shift. Totally. But again, I would expect Carta, the companies that are reporting Carta, to be the most forward thinking, right? Or they're, they're the most further along. So everything makes sense with what we're seeing. But I wanted to talk for a sec. You talked about the name of the round. Is this a seed stage? Is it a seed company? And in the old days, the name of the round would dictate the company's stage. Oh, well, we're a seed round, so we must be a seed stage company. But I feel that now, You could have a company that could be at different stages. You might have a company that would be at a series A level from before, but they might be doing a seed round because they're using seriesseed.com documents, right? They might be raising $10 million and they Mm -hmm. might be doing on seriesseed.com documents. So trying to tie the name of the round to the stage is, I think, a little bit harder now. But what we are definitely seeing is that earlier rounds are all convertible notes and safes. If we had to draw a line, 2 million and less convertible notes or safes. 2 million to 5 million, maybe seriesseed.com equity mm-hmm. documents, and then 5 million above NBCA. So let's talk about what that really means. I don't think we really dug in on that. So we've talked a lot about safes and convertible notes. And for those of you who might not be familiar with those terms, let me break those down for a sec. Safes and convertible notes are collectively known as convertible securities. The point of a convertible security is that it's not actual equity on the cap table as of yet. So you don't issue shares to the investors. You enter into this security, this agreement with the investor that says they're going to get shares at some point in time in the future. Very simply, the premise is they will get shares at the next round. Their security will convert into the next round, but at a different price. Obviously, at a better price or at a discounted price, that's the point. They're taking their risk earlier. So there's many benefits here. One, Safes and convertible notes are much shorter, much simpler instruments, just a couple of pages long for a safe. They can be negotiated for a quarter of the cost of an equity financing round. Two, the investors in a safe or convertible note into these convertible securities, they don't have to worry about negotiating these nitty gritty preferred stock rights or obligations at this point in time, they can wait. They can wait till they have more information about the company. They can wait till there's a larger lead investor. They can wait till they want to spend more money on legal to do it. So all of the convertible instrument holders, again, those two convertible instruments, convertible securities, I'm using those terms interchangeably. All of those convertible instrument holders, safes or note holders, are going to get whatever security the next round gets, but they're just going to get it at a discount. So that's the benefit of these convertible securities. Now, 
within the framework of convertible securities, we have two primary agreements. We have safes and we have convertible notes. Raddy, you want to take over for a second, explain safes versus convertible notes? Sure. So both of these convertible instruments, as, as Kev points out, convert in the future. Now with a safe, it is an instrument that converts only upon two occurrences. One is raising another round, a preferred equity round, and the other is a liquidity event, whether that's shutting down the company and just distributing assets to the shareholders, or that's a sale. And so until one of those two events occurs, a safe holder is a security holder in the company, but they have no rights. They have no rights to vote. They're not shareholders. They have no rights to appoint board of directors. They have no control. They don't even have access to like books or records or anything unless they enter into some sort of side letter agreement granting them those rights. So they just have to sit there. There's no timeline typically on a default safe of when they'll convert or anything. And there's there's some kind of very well-known examples of how this could go really badly for an investor when a company never raises again and doesn't sell for many, many, many years. And even on a sale, you basically get the better of your money back or converting at the cap or the cap that was listed on that safe. So that's a safe. Convertible note, same idea, except a convertible note technically is debt. It starts out as debt. And because it's debt, it's actually better for your investor, right? Because debt sits above equity holders when it comes to distribution of money. You need to pay back your debts before you can give your shareholders money upon a sale of a company. So as debt, these investors then sit at the top of what we call the capital stack. They would need to get repaid first before shareholders do. And so with a convertible note, it will convert either, again, upon raising another round, a preferred round, upon a liquidity event, or upon maturity, it either needs to be paid back or it can be converted at that time at the election of the investor or at the election of the majority investors. These are a little bit more technical terms. But basically, you have this gun to the head of the company is what I would say, right? With maturity date, you either need to raise the round or you have to essentially possibly pay the money back. Now, early stage companies don't just have a whole bunch of cash in the bank in a vault waiting to go back to these convertible note holders. So what we often say is if you reach that maturity date and you haven't been able to raise another round, you have to have a hard conversation. The investors and the company have to talk about what the options are. You can extend it, continue to earn interest. You might amend it to give them better terms, bigger discount, lower cap. There's things that have to be done though, but it is a more favorable instrument in a lot of ways for the investor. But those are your two basic ones. And they're very similar in their mechanics in the sense that, as Kevin pointed out, they kick the can down the road on the big issues. They convert into equity upon these events, changing control slash liquidity or another round. The one big difference is that convertible notes really are debt that change and safes are not debt. Safes are really kind of an equity instrument that's like equity light, L-I-T-E, kind of like the beer companies. Right. If convertible notes are a better instrument than safes, then why are safes more popular? So I think there's a couple of reasons why. Convertible notes are a better instrument in some ways, and it is some ways for the investors, right? Because of the sense that it is debt to start. So as debt, you sit on top of the capital stack, as I said. What that means is debt needs to be repaid back first. Now, what does that really mean in practice? Well, an early stage company, if they did get debt from someone else, like a bank, that bank is going to subordinate the debt of that investor anyway. So the type of debt you get in a convertible note round is unsecured. So yes, it's better than equity, but it's just better than equity. It's not like bank debt, which usually has personal guarantees and security interests and things like that. But I think... Even though you have that benefit, I think what you're seeing with the safe, when it is an easier instrument, it's shorter, it's more to the point. And we're talking broad terms. 
The standard safe that we're referring to now is the Y Combinator Post Money Safe, which is the most standard. That does have elements that are more favorable to the investor in terms of how dilution works. Because it's a post money safe, that number that the cap is on that safe, let's say it's 50 million, that basically says no matter how much money you raise in that round, you raise 5 million that round, you raise 10 million that round, the cap is 50. So if you raised five, it means you gave up 10% of your company. If you raised 10, it means you gave up 20% of your company. Now, if you had a pre-money safe, which people don't use that much anymore, if you raised 10, you'd actually add that 10 onto that 50 cap and you basically had a 60. And so one sixth is like 16.66, whatever percent, right? I'm so good at math. And you see the difference there because with a pre-money cap, which is more common in the convertible notes, the money coming in by the investors dilutes each other. And that causes, that means everyone shares in dilution, the investors and the founders. With the post-money safe, the dilution does not affect the investors. It only goes to the existing shareholders. So I think what you've seen is a trade-off. Like investors have said, all right, as long as we can agree to this post-money where I know the exact percent interest I will have in the company right before that equity round happens, I'm willing to invest in an instrument that's seen as a little bit more company-friendly and not have debt as like my gun to your head. So what you think is a key reason why safes have supplanted convertible notes is because of the ease of the calculations, the ease of the cap table or the ownership calculations. Man, that's a really good point. I hadn't really thought about that being the deciding factor. Other reasons are they're just smoother, they're simpler, they get things going quicker, and I think they have a lot of momentum. Yeah, the other thing is with convertible notes, you're accruing interest. And that interest is income to those investors, even if they never see it. When they convert and they convert and had $100,000 of interest on a million dollar convertible note, then technically they should be reporting that as income that who does really want that? Do you want to report income on a startup that you don't know if it's ever going to make it? There was this whole thought of like, oh, convertible notes are great because I'm making interest and I'm debt. But then people started to realize their CPA started saying, yeah, but you actually have interest that you converted into more shares. Like there's income there and now you're reporting income and that investment goes belly up in two years. So I think the other thing is the added quote benefit of interest in the end, we're like, well, that's not really a benefit for me as an investor. This is too early stage for me to be wanting reporting any income. I think another nuanced point about the recent safes, they updated those post-money safes in 2018, is there are some better protections around investor rights at liquidation. So they did make the safes a little bit more investor friendly. But in any event, safes are definitely the more popular tool for most investors at this point in time. And I think the places that it's not are probably less mature venture markets, but safes are going to be really the de facto convertible instrument moving forward. So you have to contrast those with an equity round. Okay, So a lot of seed rounds. Now, we're going to get back to using this word seed in just a sec, but an equity round is when someone buys actual equity in your company. So let's just say the company's worth easy math, $15 million pre-money valuation. The investor is investing $5 million. That's $20 million post-money valuation. The investor now owns five out of 20 because the company's worth 20 with the investor's cash in it. The investor put in 5 million of that. The investor owns five out of 20 or 25% of the business. They own one quarter of the business. That's how equity rounds work. You actually buy into the company. And if you had some safes or convertible notes prior to that equity round, then those would just convert into this same round, but at a little better valuation. That's the point of the convertible instrument. When you do an equity round, there's just a lot more to negotiate though. The investor is going to purchase preferred shares. Preferred shares are going to have liquidation preferences, dividend rights, voting rights, 
board rights, information rights, all these things that convertible instruments typically don't have. And those things take time to negotiate and they take paper to document and they just add time and expense, which is fine for an equity round. But for a lot of earlier stage rounds or anything 2 million or less, companies don't want to incur those costs. And a lot of investors don't want their money going to pay those legal costs. So now let's get back to what calling a seed round. What we're seeing now more and more of is you really just have your pre-seed rounds and then you get into your equity rounds, right? And your pre-seed rounds might also be your friends and family round. But those friends and family, those pre-seed rounds, they're all some sort of convertible instrument. They're usually safes. Like you said, if we were to break up the deals we've done in 2023, Rad, we'd probably see more of a transition, right? From convertible notes to safes, even just over the last eight months. Yep. So a pre-seed round, friends and family round, almost always now going to be a safe, maybe a convertible note. And then your seed round is generally going to be thought of as an equity round because you're going to use some sort of equity granting documents, seriesseed.com or the NBCA documents. You could raise a $10 million convertible note round, and you might think of that as your seed round. And you might do that and then just skip series seed and go straight to your A. And, and that's possible. But I believe that most of the smaller rounds anyway, two, two million below, these days they're all convertible notes and safes. And we're just calling them all pre-seed or just a convertible note round, right? We're not really putting in a title on them. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, I agree. And it's what's interesting is that for a while there, I started seeing a creeping up of NVCA docs for the first equity round, no matter what. And now I've seen a revision back where using seriesseed.com mm-hmm. more, again, to your point, Kevin, to save money. Seriesseed.com, you have the investment agreement and the COI amendment. And again, there's usually most favored nations clause in the seed.com docs that remains that basically says, look, you're getting your 1x liquidation preference, you're getting the ROFR, co-sale, some basic stuff, and we'll kick the can down the road on everything else again. And people like that again, because like, why am I going to spend like the full, you know, to negotiate five different equity agreements and all these different ancillaries and whatever. And so I'm starting to see seriesseed.com kind of float back in there and become used a little bit more often. And then for your bigger, robust 5 million plus rounds, getting those NBCA docs. Yeah, I want to highlight that because I agree with you. And Series Seed has this future rights section, which is really just a most favored nations. And it says, look, let's just act as a go between a convertible round and in a full-blown NBCA round. And the Series Seed round will give you your liquidation preference, board seat, a couple other minor protective provisions, major investor rights. However, we're not going to do full redemption, registration rights, tag, drag along. We'll worry about that when we get to the next round. And we'll just say these Series Seed guys are going to get those same rights that the A round gets. Exactly. And if you think about how or why that's happening, Radney, like what are the greater macro effects that are doing that? It's investor comfortability with understanding, okay, I'll get that next round. Speed, cost. I think as investors get more comfortable with investing in venture, the same way that more of them are comfortable investing in safe rounds, maybe a lot of convertible note investors five years ago are now investing in safe rounds. Mm. A lot of early stage funds or smaller funds who used to use NBCA docs are now comfortable using Series Seed dot com docs, yep. right? Kind of yep. same same thing. All right. I want to talk about one more point about these early stage rounds, and then we'll probably be good to wrap it up. How does a round like this come together, Randy? Let's talk about both. Let's talk about these pre-seed convertible note or safe rounds, and then let's talk about equity rounds. So first of all, this pre-seed, let's call it a million dollar safe round. How does this come together, Rad? 
typically I would consider these to be party rounds, right? This typically comes from the company. We draft a resolution. We approve the save. We say how much we're going to raise. And then the client goes and starts talking to angels, angel networks, high net worth individuals, friends, family, maybe a few, depending on the success that these founders have had, they might be talking to some VCs that are willing to invest in convertible rounds. And they go out there and they usually bring a bunch of different parties together. There might be someone who's cutting a large check, but rarely like a majority check, I would say, especially of a, of a million dollar round. It's like maybe you get a couple that have one guy at 250, a couple at 100, you know, a bunch of 50, stuff like that. And so that's typically what we see from convertible rounds. And the money comes in as you need it. You basically are raising over maybe a three, six, nine, some really, really early stage founders that don't have a great network, might take a year plus that they're just out there raising trying to bring money in and using as you go. And and that kind of comes from the company, party round, you're out there doing your thing. Now, when you jump into the, the equity round, right? I tell this to clients all the time because I was like, hey, can you draft me a, a term sheet for that equity round? And I'm going to, I was like, I can, and I'm happy to, but I will tell you, in all of the years I've been doing this, the amount of times that my term sheet that I drafted for a client <laughs> for an equity round has been used is like once, right. like seriously. If you're out there trying to do an equity round, you need a lead investor. You need someone who says the buck stops with me. My counsel is going to draft the docs. They're going to negotiate it. I'm going to put in the largest plurality or the majority of this round. I'm going to determine the the deal terms and I'm going to invest basically no matter what. And then you're going to fill in the round around that. And it's a very different experience. Let me share something around that because for those of you founders who are out there, and you're talking to investors, and these investors are telling you, oh, yeah, I'm going to invest. I'll invest in anything. Just get me a term sheet. Just get me a term sheet. I'm going to invest. It's different once it gets in their lawyer's hands because I had a client recently who insists he wanted to do a massive round, A round, $25 million, massive for Texas, $25 million A round. I said, okay, do we have a lead investor? He said, no, no, no. I'm just going to, let's just put together our own term sheet. I said, this isn't going to work. He said, no, no, I already got someone for a million dollars. Let's put together our own term sheet. We're going to do an A round. We'll make it super company friendly. And then we'll just build off this million dollars. I said, one out of 25 is not enough, right? That's not a lead investor. And the client insisted. And so I said, all right. And I put this in email. I just want to let you know, I think this is a bad decision because we're going to have to redo this. And it's going to cost you money to do it. He said, no, 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 I promise we're going to do it. So we put together a term sheet, pretty company friendly, kind of like a seriesseed.com term sheet, but for $25 million. We go out, we get one investor to invest a million dollars. And then the client continues to shop it around. And then he finds someone who wants to invest $6 million. And he says, hey, great. Look, Kevin, I found someone for $6 million. Then that investor's attorney emails me and says, hey, could you send over the term sheet? And I send over the term sheet. And the attorney calls me and says, yeah, we're not accepting this term sheet. This has none of the traditional protective provisions that we would seek. And went back to the client and said, this is exactly what I told you was going to happen. So not only are we now spending money to do this, but we look a little silly in the eyes of this guy. And I was able to talk to the attorney and we move forward and they're still negotiating that term sheet right now. But these things happen in a certain manner, in a certain way. And you can't put together your own term sheet and then expect a large investor to not have material edits or revisions to that. And so you're just going to end up losing time. But I think the key point here is these convertible rounds, which we can generally call a safe round these days, those are going to be party rounds. Those are going to be company-led. We'll put together a term sheet on that. And if it's just a safe, it's really a basic term sheet. I mean, there's not a whole lot to say other than here's the cap, here's the discount if you're using both of those. And then Y Combinator has its own standard side letter, which works great. Yep. And if it's going to be an equity round, you usually want, almost always want that to be investor-led. 
unless you're doing just a really small party round, a million, two million bucks, and you've got that circled up. But even if you're going to do that, make sure the terms are reasonable so you don't get someone last minute coming and trying to change things. But an equity round is going to be investor-led and let them prepare the term sheet. All right, guys. So I appreciate everyone listening. That wraps up our series on preparing for funding. Hopefully you found this informative. If you have any thoughts or questions, you can refer back to the website. And we've got show notes and links for all of these things. So make sure you go back. If you're just jumping at the end, make sure you go back to the earlier ones and look online at the website because we're going to have links to different resources that we have at the VW website. So before I wrap up and close it out, Rad, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah. My final thought would be if you're a founder out there and you're on this journey is that everything Kevin and I said is general advice, right? Your journey is going to be its own journey, right? So follow that journey. It's a hard one. A founder's journey is not an easy one, but it's a very rewarding one. And take our advice, think through it this way. But just because something we said isn't exactly how yours is happening doesn't mean yours is wrong or it's not the right path, right? Yours is your path. But these should be some hopefully some helpful tools that can guide you along the way as you have these conversations, help you speak the language, right? Because in life, a lot of it is really just knowing the language and what you feel left out about when someone is at a cocktail party talking about VC stuff. You know, I didn't used to know this stuff. Kevin didn't used to know this stuff. So hopefully we can help you with that nomenclature, help you that language give you some advice, but your journey is your journey. So best of luck. And as we say on the website, we're here to help. Very well stated, Rad. Well, thank you for listening. So that closes out this episode and this series. This was Office Hours Preparing for Funding. You can find show notes for this episode with timestamps and links to references and resources on our website, velawood.com forward slash podcasts. The Office Hours podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd love it if you could subscribe and follow us and leave us a rating and review. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at podcasts at bellawood.com. And finally, thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Evan. The Vela Wood podcasts are recorded with the help of Radio MD, based in Chicago, Illinois. You can find all of our podcasts on our website at velawood.com slash podcasts. For questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at podcasts at velawood.com.